welcome into season four, episode two of the Kenneth Speakeasy podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, joining us this week, uh, we have a great chat with Jeff coming up. He's also known on Twitter as Like Concussed. You can follow him at A Concussed. Uh, he is our guest for episode two of season four, episode 121 of the podcast. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation with Jeff. Um, we're going to talk to him about being a fan and living in the Sun Belt in the U.S. Uh, currently, uh, you know, he's in Texas. Uh, we also get into talking about um, brain injuries and, you know, a lot of the extensive work he's done um, regarding brain injuries and CTE and stuff like that. It's a, it's a very interesting and important conversation. Also, you can follow us online. I am at Pete underscore gas and the podcast that cannot speak. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Ben and check out the playlist Pete and I continue to build on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. Uh, we'll be adding another funky jam to that playlist at the end of this episode. How's things going in your neck of the woods, Doug? Uh, how's your week been? Oh, uh, I mean, I'm actually on vacation as of tomorrow. Ooh, so, nice. yeah, today was my last day, and then I'm off until Friday of next week. Um, so I'm looking forward to... Uh, Grace and some friends and I, we're all heading up to Christina Lake, which will be nice. It's kind of the shoulder season, so it won't be too crazy up there. And it might be a little bit cold, but I'm still planning to jump in the lake for a little bit of a swim and play some board games and just kind of un- relax and unwind because it's been a very hectic summer for me work-wise, and I definitely need to unwind. What about you, Pete? Yeah, it's been, man, I can't believe uh, how fast this week has gone. I went to another concert on Friday. I saw the Avalanches uh, in Stanley Park, which was excellent. Then I've actually had a little bit of downtime myself this weekend, which is kind of nice. Is like summer is just, you know how summer goes. It's just like your schedule is so crammed up. And this last week I was sort of able to just kind of have a few nights where I was just able to like chill out and watch baseball or put on records or make tacos. You know, it was just kind of nice having a bit of that downtime. The next few nights, again, I have a few things going on, but I, overall it's been good. Busy week with uh, the brewery, but not brewing, just getting a lot of kind of projects and things done. It's been a lot of handiwork and uh, fixing things this week, but uh, feeling really good about it and getting back to some fun brews next week as well. So yeah, overall things have been busy and Speaking of things that have been busy, man, it's uh, all of a sudden as well. Hockey goes from like zero to hero this past week. Um, with quite a few interesting stories coming out. What do you think of the Nathan McKinnon deal? I mean, I think it's he's the highest paid player in the NHL now. Um, I'm not surprised. Like, obviously, coming off the Stanley Cup and being uh, ridiculously underpaid for the last several seasons, I guess it makes sense that he's going to cash in. I you know was it twelve and a half for eight years I think is what the final number came in at right Pete? twelve twelve point six to 12. make him just six. above Connor okay um I think he's worth it you know what I mean like is he gonna you know the back half of that contract you, you know the final two maybe even three years of that contract is is it gonna be a great deal probably not but most of these contracts that players are signing of eight plus years don't end up being great contracts for the entirety of the length of those contracts that are signed. Um, But again, he's a Stanley Cup champion. He's arguably a top three player in the entire NHL. Uh, I think he's worth it. 
Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not surprised by this deal at all. I mean, you look at the deal he was on for the longest time, and uh, it was just a sweetheart deal. And so they win the cup. He's coming up to be a UFA. You just knew he was going to get paid. And really, from Colorado's point of view, it's like, you know what? We're going to pay this guy. We've already won the cup. We've got the space to do it. Let's just, we're back in the truck up. Anything more at this point is a bonus. Um, I, I still as well, I, I don't think the last couple of years are going to look great in the books, but I don't think Colorado cares. They've got the cup and uh, they're going to see now they can get another one with him. But uh, that team friendly deal, I mean, the guy just needs to get paid and, you know, it's a hundred million dollar deal and get put, get some, a, a little bit more than Connor McDavid. So uh, I think we're now starting to see again, inflation, it's hitting everywhere. You're starting to see that with hockey, contracts uh, a couple other interesting things uh, happened. we saw a, a trio of defensemen retire this week uh like, like prolific defensemen like guys that i think have drafted in hockey pools over the years daniel chara keith yandel and pk suban thoughts on that yeah i mean chara and yandel i'm not overly surprised about i mean chara is what he's like 40 45 i think so he's like the tom brady he you know he's a, he's seemingly just tom brady uh playing in the nhl um, PK Subban, I think some people might be a little bit surprised given his age, but I, I, you know, Subban's definitely lost a step. Uh, I, I believe he had like hip surgery a couple of years ago and he's never really been the same player since. Um, and Subban, I mean, he can go and get a TV deal today and he's going to get a TV deal and he's going to probably get paid more than what most teams were offering him to play this year. So why put his body on the line and, you know, and, sign up to play an 82 game regular season plus potential playoffs when you can go and make that same kind of money and you know look after your long-term health by being in front of a television camera yeah that was that was my thoughts too with with pk guys 33 and he's probably not getting great offers out there he's probably having teams offer him like a million million and a half uh maybe you know even ptos i don't know he's certainly lost his step the guy's 33 though he we've we've all known since he entered the league that this guy's going to have some sort of future in broadcasting or media or he's going to be on a panel i think he's going to land probably on tnt or or hockey night or somewhere very quickly and he's like yeah exactly he's like I've, he's made his his cake He's like, now he can go and put his body on the line some more, or he can make decent coin wearing a suit and tie and looking good and sitting up in a booth somewhere. So uh, it, it is a little surprising just because of it, it, it. A part of me still feels like he's a young guy, you know, like he, I just, yeah, I mean, he is a young guy, but it, it feels like he just entered the league in a way and now he's out, but he's only three years younger than Keith Yandel. Uh, and he's like 42 years younger than Zidane Chara. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, Surprise him, but kind of not, I guess, is is what I'm trying to say with Subban. Yandel, it goes from an Iron Man streak to very quickly, a couple of years later, he's done as well. Um, really quietly had a very good career. All three of those guys, good careers, good defensemen, and uh, kind of crazy to lose all three of them at the same time. And speaking of defensemen that we're losing, uh, kind of crazy news out of Philly and, and also involving another former flyer with, with Ryan Ellis and uh, Nolan Patrick. Both sounds like neither one of those guys playing this year. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Ellis has kind of been injury-prone since, you know, his days in Nashville. He just, for whatever reason, I know he's a smaller defenseman, but, you know, when he's on the ice, he's always played very well, but he just, the last, you know, four or five years, he's just not been able to stay healthy. And then Nolan Patrick, like, he was a very highly touted prospect in juniors, 
And I believe it was the last year of his junior career. He suffered uh, some pretty significant injuries. And that injury bug has continued with him all throughout his NHL career. And it's a shame because he's a guy that if he could stay healthy, again, I don't think he was ever going to be, you know, a perennial 40 goal scorer or a top-notch two-way center like a Patrice Bergeron. But he's a guy that should have been, a, you know, a pretty productive NHL player. But he just, again, he, for whatever reason... His body's broken down at a young age, and he can't stay on the ice. Two guys traded for each other as well. Philip Myers was also in that deal, but that was the deal that sent Ellis over to Philly was with Nolan Patrick going back to Nashville, who then got flipped over to Vegas, and uh, I can't remember what that was. Uh, there was what that move was, but it yeah, was the other young. Other. It, it was the other young forward that I think a lot of yeah, fans were it? wanting to draft instead of Petey. I can't think of his name right now, but Ooh, Vegas took him. Was it, Co- was it Cody Glass? Glass. It was Cody Glass. Yeah, Patrick yeah. for Glass, one for one. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah, that was uh, quite the shuffle. But yeah, it's, I mean, man, Nolan Patrick, you, you know, that that was one of those guys that you, you like it, like Connor Bedard right now. You heard about his name in junior. You all knew he was coming up. Uh, and in his draft year, he didn't go number one. And there's a lot of thought about ooh is this the right guy to take it to and it, it turns out it wasn't and uh, I mean that was the year we got PD I mean people know that three four and five in that draft were it was a pretty stacked draft when you when you look at it now um, quite sad to see I don't know if Patrick's ever going to get his career back Ryan Ellis we may not see him again either it's uh, but yeah it's pretty sad yeah I mean uh, if Ellis ends up on LTIR I guess that theoretically could free up quite a bit of cap space for the Flyers Um but I think the Flyers as a whole, like that's a team I think a lot of people are going to be watching with a close eye this year because they just seem like a ticking time bomb, especially with Tortorella going there yeah. uh, as a team that could literally just, you know, blow up for all the wrong reasons. And Couturier as well. Like Couturier yeah. is out for a while. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, saw. Uh... Oh, go ahead. No, yeah, I saw Couturier's got a long-term injury as well. He could miss several months here, it looks like. Yeah, the two of them combined for $14 million, uh in the books. Uh, Ellis has five more years left on his deal. Couturier's got even longer than that. So there's going to be some interesting times going going on there. I mean, if Philly is juggling $14 million of cap space the next couple of years, geez louise, that just seems like a, an absolute nightmare. And, of course, that kills. You're going to start getting bonus rollovers from that. But, man, Philly is uh, going to be one of the stories, I think, to watch this year out of the gate, So along with Cal. I think those are going to be kind of the two of the more interesting storylines. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, in the West, Calgary's the team that everyone's probably going to have their eye on. Uh, and I would also throw Columbus in there. I think Columbus is a team, mm. you know, with Goudreau going there. I think, you know, and I yeah. actually think Columbus is going to do a lot better than I think people are initially going to think. Um, but I think Columbus is a team to watch this year. I really do. Doug, should I uh, tell you a little bit about the outro track from last week before we get into something a little bit new here? Yeah, please do. So as usual, when I uh, when I, I edit, I just kind of go through, like, see what, what's on the record player a lot of the time. And I know when I met up with you a couple weeks ago, I was telling you about uh, this Chemical Brothers record that I ordered for the, the, the 25th anniversary of Dig Your Own Hole, which... Kind of came out uh, in 97. It was a really one of those albums that really 
brought electronic music into the mainstream for the very first time. It was right around there that Daft Punk's homework came out, and Fatboy Slim also had that one with uh, the Rockefeller Skank that came out. And those were kind of the ones that really started put the EDM music or electronic music, as it was at the time, into the forefront. I always loved that album. Uh, the 25th anniversary had uh, is a special vinyl pressing with only 1,997 copies. And it's got a few bonus tracks, so I was just like, oh, I gotta buy this. So anyways, that was on my turntable, and uh, that track, Where Do I Begin? I've always loved that track, and I just thought it kind of might work as an outro track, and I think it did. It's a fun little track. It's on the, the D side of the album, which is probably the best side of the whole album as well. So um, anyways, it's just kind of a little bit of a flashback and something a little different. I mean, trying to chuck some kind of different stuff into the playlist as well that still keeps the flow of it going. Yeah, and the Chemical Brothers were one of those groups, you know, kind of like Fatboy Slim too, that I don't think I really appreciated enough when, you know, back in the 90s. Like, you know, I, I think it's really cool that that record came out in 1997 and there's only 1,997 copies of it. That's that's super cool. Uh, I'm a nerd mm-hmm. for that kind of stuff and I know you are too, Pete. Yeah. But as I've totally. gotten older, uh, yeah, like I really love those old like, Chemical Brothers albums, Fatboy Slim, even The Prodigy, you know, and The Prodigy was one of those kind of like electronic-ish English bands that I was a little bit more into because they were a little bit more heavy. Um, but yeah, listening to those records, I've gone back because I didn't really spend much time with them with them when they were kind of big during my youth. I've I've I have a whole new appreciation. And then I actually I didn't I didn't say it, but I actually thought because we were talking about that Chemical Brothers record that you might be spinning a cut from there and uh, when I finally got to listen to the last episode, I was like, I knew it. <laughs> yeah, it was probably probably a giveaway. I've been being pretty big on that one. Um, Doug, it's time for something uh, a little new that we're going to try out this year. You know, we're always trying out new things, and we wanted to kind of bring in some more people uh, onto the podcast a little bit more regularly. So last week, we started our season four with Dan Mackles uh, and for our first guest. And we're going to have Dan doing a recurring segment on the show that we're calling Dan's Feelings, where he's going to just kind of ramble on about something and then we'll just uh, kind of give a quick little quip uh, from our own thoughts at, at the end of it. So how does that sound to you? Should we uh, roll the clip from Dan? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Hey, how's it going? Uh, my name's Dan and here are my feelings on some things. Please say hello to Dan. Yo, give me something to Dan. Dan, 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 Dan. To Dan. Dan, 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 Dan. To Dan, to Dan. Please say hello to Dan. Yo, give me something to Dan. Dan, 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 Dan. To Dan. Dan, 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 Dan. To Dan, to Dan. What was on my mind right now was speaking about the negative side of sports. And specifically, you've got the Jake Vertanen situation. And uh, what just dropped today as I'm recording this was the controversy surrounding J.T. Miller and the hat he wore and what kind of implications that may be for his political opinions. Now, there's this conversation about toxicity that exists in sports and sports as a whole is toxic. I've seen it come up recently um, in some discussions that I've had online. And it's it's tough for me because obviously I, I am a fan of sport. And uh, I think about the wonderful life lessons that I learned from playing sports, such as 
being accountable to your teammates, the ability to have teamwork as you work together for a common goal, what it's like to experience victory together, but more importantly, to deal with defeat. Because as I teach my young son through life, you're going to deal with much more defeat than you are victories. And how you manage that will go a long way to determining what kind of person you're going to be. Now, unfortunately, uh, sport is played by humans. And if history has taught us anything, we are not awesome. And whether it is in sports or the workplace or an event, a few bad apples can taint those things. And it's unfortunate because that is what the focus will become, is the negative side. And for myself, uh, I'm sure it's the same for many of you, I use sports as an escapism from the day-to-day life and the ugliness that exists in it. So when I go to that safe place to escape those things, it's so difficult when they start to seep in. And unfortunately, that's something that's just going to take place because sports is played by humans. Having said that, I don't think a lot of those negative things, such as assault and, and being a terrible human being, should be brushed under the rug. I think players should be held accountable. I think there should be a higher standard that takes place in this very privileged role that they find themselves in. And I fully support in steps being taken to have that be the norm. For me, um, I'm still going to continue watching. Uh, Nothing at this point has completely tainted the experience for me. And uh, until that takes place, you'll find me sitting on the couch or at the game, ready to get lost in that escapism again. Anyways, my name's Dan, and those were my feelings. What are yours? All right, well, yeah, I think you made some uh, really good points in there. First of all, uh, I, I love the sweet little intro. Uh, I think that that was, the music is just, just popping. Whoever made that is a, <laughs> a musical musical genius. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean... Just quickly, I, I, I mean, I agree with a lot of what he's saying there. Um, I, I think that it, for me, sports certainly is escapism. And it, it all comes really down to, as the viewer, how do, you ex- kind of how do you experience it? How do you filter it? And how do you enjoy it? And everyone's got a unique take on that. And uh, this market is certainly a fodder of that. Like we, we, uh, we really go off on tangents one way or another a lot of the time. But... There, they, I'm with them as though as well. Though there's nothing that's fully turned me off of sports, and everyone's got their own opinions. And when you start mixing politics with sports, it get a little hazy, uh, of course. But um, I, I try not to focus on the negative too much myself. Yeah, I agree. Like I, I agree. I think Dan articulated, you know, his view on the way certain situations could affect your enjoyment of a sport or a team. Um, but as a whole, I actually do think sports do bring people together. And I think the the positive stories, generally speaking, far outweigh some of the negative stories uh, in sport. Um, sport culture as a whole, sure, definitely, you know, needs to be looked at and changed. But I, I do really think, you know, for me, sport is one of those things that it's an integral part of just growing up, like for me, like one of my fondest memories was, was watching, you know, my first hockey game with my grandpa. Um, and then, you know, to further on that point, my great grandfather, you know, 
took me to my first hockey game and just stuff like that. And so even though we do see some negative things come up, it's more of the individual as opposed to the sport as a whole. And for me, like I said, and like you said, Pete, and like Dan said, you know, I enjoy sports because I think it brings us together more often than it tears us apart. Yeah, yeah, that's that's well said. Um, I think it's time to get Jeff on the line here. So uh, let's bring him on and uh, get into our chat. Joining us now all the way from Dallas, Texas, we have Jeff, who you can follow on Twitter at a concussed. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Good to see you both. Good to have you here. How's things uh, down in Texas these days? You guys still getting summer? You know, we had about a week of fall, and I went kayaking a couple times last week, but summer's back. It pulled back for a little bit, but, oh, man, it was the most miserable June or July. We didn't have rain for, like, 75 days. I mean, everyone's lawn on the on the block is dead. You know what I mean? There's just nothing <laughs> you can do about it. So, anyway, yeah, it's getting a little bit better. Yep. Oh, nice. Well, we, Jeff, we get rain for like nine months in Vancouver. Yeah. So it's almost like the polar opposite of, you know, what the weather would be like in Texas. I yeah. would love it. I would love <laughs> it. I love the rain. I, maybe I wouldn't love it as much as I think I do, but I think I would. So we're at that point in the year where it's still nice. And then one day it starts raining. And then uh, the next thing you know, uh, it's March. Um, Jeff, we're really stoked that you could join us. Uh, we've got a lot of things we're going to cover throughout this conversation. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your story and, uh, and how you got to be where you are. We want to talk a little bit about what it's like being a Canucks fan down in the Southern U S as well. And then we're going to also touch on just what we've seen so far from day one of training camp and just uh, kind of some of the excitement going into the season. Uh, so let's start with, with your story. How did you end up being a Canucks fan? No, that's a good question, right? Cause we're on a Canucks podcast. So I, uh, I didn't grow up into, I mean, I played soccer as a kid and then had, you know, maybe we'll talk about it a little later, had a traumatic brain injury and then just kind of immediately went dark at about 13, a lot of, a lot of emotional problems, a lot of problems with drug and alcohol stemming from this brain injury. And so I didn't go to my first um, hockey game. I, well, I didn't go to my first professional anything until I was sober and um, I was 30 years old and I was just sobering up and a, a guy came and kind of got me out of the treatment center for the night. I think I'd been there three weeks and, and he came and took me to a division two hockey game and you guys just right away, just the truculence and speed and intensity. And it was just, and I'm, again, this was just division two college hockey, but I was like, Oh, I'm in, I'm in. And so, you know, season tickets to that and, and was going to that. And then I had always, I mean, I'd kind of been like, I was very confused. I'd kind of been a lukewarm, like devil's fan. I kind of like Marty Brodeur, like a little bit through the name. I had the hat, you know what I mean? And, uh, and then, you know, going um, well into the 2000s. So I'm a new NHLer, NHLer through and through um, in the sense that it's not like I didn't watch hockey, but right after that, 
lockout around, you know, like the two lockouts ago, it was right after that that I really dived in and really kind of became a stats nerd and a stats geek and really, you know, players like Jamie Langenbrenner, my Commodore and Wikipedia and where they go to college and he shoots right and he played junior and, and really got this kind of panoramic map of the league. And so I, I didn't really have a team that I knew it wasn't going to be Arizona. And we'll get to that in a bit if we talk about the Sun Belt. <laughs> and before, well before they went on their cup run, I saw the Green Men on Sports Center, And I'm like, that's hilarious. Like, what are those guys about? I, I kind of, I'm almost embarrassed to admit it now, you guys, but I'm like, I kind of need to tune into that, right? And so I started watching Canucks games and I was like, oh, and um, near as I could tell from watching the team I saw on, you know, on the internet that they had had a float in the Pride Parade. And I was like, this is a really diverse kind of city, very inclusive, like really matches my values. I really appreciated uh, the artwork that they were using on the journey and that they're uh, on the Jersey, excuse me, that there was a cultural heritage there. And then just watching the Sedinery and Burroughs doing his thing and Kessler and like Shane O'Brien was leaving and some other guys were coming and, uh, and I just really loved the way that it, it made the game so much more exciting, especially watching that team, right? And uh, got it tattooed on my knuckle around the time. And then, of course, you know, kind of bandwagon-ish, right? And then, of course, um, it fell apart. But, you know, when you fall in love with something, good, bad, or indifferent, you, you kind of love it. And there you are. And so it, we certainly had... Um, I think of them as like the Byron Bits years, you know what I mean? Where there was just nothing going on. It was horrific. Uh, but it's it's like kind of back in the saddle again, really excited about the product we're going to put on the ice this year. And uh, yeah, I think I want to say in the last 10 years, I've probably seen the Canucks in 11 American NHL arenas. I've followed them twice, almost like you would follow the Grateful Dead, you know, going from arena to <laughs> plane to plane to bus to whatever. And uh, and it's been really something special. It's really added a lot to my life. So, uh, What's been your favorite arena you've seen the Canucks in uh, in the U.S.? Like the, the arena that, you know, was the most hyped and obviously, you know, the outcome of the game probably helped it dictate how well you enjoyed your experience there. But what was your favorite arena to see them on the road in the U.S.? To see the Canucks in? Probably Nashville. Um, there's arenas I like better than that. But but the ones that I've seen, yeah, probably Nashville. Mm -hmm. so. I think uh, I just remember, didn't we figure out that we were both at the same Canucks Predators game in Nashville? Yeah, yeah, we were. That was my wedding anniversary. Yeah. We were gonna go to we were gonna go to Vietnam. And what they don't tell you is like getting married is really expensive. And so after we looked at the finance, the marriage, it's like, yeah, we're not going to Vietnam, dude. Like we're we're going to Nashville and we're driving. We're not even flying. But that was a yeah, that was a good game. Mm -hmm. That was a good if I remember the the Canucks won that one and they had five power play goals and it was throwback night and the Canucks had uh, uh the retro logo on the screen for that and that and and Nashville was all over them that was all they had going on that night was the power play right because mm -hmm. like Nashville controlled the play for you know at least a solid two periods of that but uh they were being undisciplined and taking bad penalties and we won it um I will say 
seeing the Canucks play at TD Garden um, was pretty cool, little intimidating. I was just, listen, I was just wearing a T-shirt and a peacoat. I'm like, I'm not even about to get, like, I know about Boston, right? It's a nasty town or it can be if you're in the wrong seating section. And I ended up sitting next to um, the family of, who was the D guy we got from Pittsburgh? He was here about three years. He really wasn't very good. Pouliot? Huh? Eric Yeah, I was sitting with his family. We were just talking. I was talking to his wife for a while, but I saw them play in Boston. Yep. I saw the Canucks play in Boston as well, uh, funnily enough. And the Canucks won that game eight to five. It was a hell of a game. Um, and I was going to do the same thing. I was worried about it, especially when a bunch of guys who look like the dropkick Murphys came up to me and saw the jersey <laughs> and they just wanted to chat. But I couldn't understand them at first because they had such a thick Boston accent. And yeah, he was saying Maxstrom. And I took uh, my body's like, he means Jacob Markstrom. I'm like, oh, Maxstrom. So I still to this day call Jacob Markstrom Maxstrom. Um, why no love for Arizona, though? I understand your roots are in Tucson. Uh, why no love for the Coyotes? You know, so when I was getting into hockey, they still had the kind of peyote coyote. And I, I can't stand that. People love it. And there's a retro thing. But I thought it was horrific um, and still do. I just it does absolutely nothing for me. And their style of play at the time, um, this was kind of, you know, would have been a little bit after the Chuck era and kind of maybe a little bit after when Gretzky was coaching him, but it was just not fun hockey to watch. I mean, one time, one time my ex spouse and I, Jackie and I drove 125 miles up on a Tuesday night to see the Oilers and the Coyotes play. And it was the only game I've ever left early. She's just like rolling her eyes. Like, can we go? And I was like, yeah, let's get going. So it was just, just two to one hockey. Don't take any penalties, no breakaway, just kind of, you know, like a little back and forth in the neutral zone. And, you know, oftentimes their style of play like was that. And um, I know we, we might talk about Southern markets here in a little bit. Well, I'll just mention it now. You know, I kind of think hockey and I think you guys will get this. Hockey is like cocaine. It's the perfect product. It sells itself if you have a good salesman in the right location. I mean, it really, and that, and that when you look across the Sun Belt, that's why some ge generate revenue and some don't. Because let's face it, like Phoenix, Dallas, kind of same thing. For the most part, everyone's new to the game. So picture you've got one thing you have in Arizona that you do have is you have a lot of snowbird people. There's an awful lot of Minnesota people that live in Arizona seasonally to get out of the snow. But outside of those people who are dedicated hockey fans, you've got people that got that got suites that showed up that their business got them tickets. Um, they don't understand the game. They're whispering to each other what's going on. But there's going on on the on-ice play to have them jump out of their seat and be like, oh my God, did you see that? And so rather than be like, I'm definitely coming back, like I'm sold, like I'm hooked. They're like, yeah, that was kind of cool, maybe, right? And they're not left, like pulled into the game. And, you know, when they, when they moved from downtown to Glendale, they sunk that team. And, you know, the coach, that uh, Dave Tippett, when they brought him in and they're like, 
trying to work, you, you know, they're trying to work on economic principles and like really stay under the cap and get the most out of their dollar and nobody takes any penalties. So you've got this really dry, boring product that's, um, if you've ever been to Los Angeles, it would be like putting Staples Center in Ventura. Do you know how much traffic you got to fight through to get to Glendale? And it's just, it's just not worth it for a bad product. I mean, if they were downtown and had an offense-based team and a couple of guys that like to throw hands out there, they would do fine. Um, because hockey is, like I said, I believe hockey sells itself. I'm living proof of that, right? That good hockey sells itself. Please. Do you, uh, so I guess, uh, what are your thoughts? And I guess most of us kind of laugh at it, but what are your thoughts of the Arizona playing at Florida State this year? Um, and then a follow-up question to that, because I think Arizona is, it is a very hot button topic as far as a market for the NHL and for hockey. But we are starting to see the impact it has had on players like Austin Matthews, who is an Arizona kid. And, you, you know, he admits growing up, you know, watching the Coyotes. Now, they obviously they weren't very good. And then, you know, this kind of further can get us into the Sun Belt topic as a whole and the impact hockey has had on the Sun Belt. And obviously some aspects or some towns have been good and some haven't. But uh, I guess we'll start with the Florida State or sorry, not the Florida State, the Arizona State question first and you know your thoughts on Arizona playing in a 5,000 person arena and whether or not they could actually potentially have some good with you know college kids going to those games and you know maybe a smaller arena will have more of an impact as far as the atmosphere during the game you know that's I mean listen it's the running joke right and I'll be the first to admit it and I can see why the apple cart you know what upset the apple cart it's Tucson role playing a bigger stadium than the Arizona Coyotes that said you guys I'm super intrigued to see a game like to see the feed just to see what it looks like that's like wild I would kind of love to go to a game there just a small intimate experience like especially like a Canucks game there and I may do that although the tickets are outrageous right um but yeah I don't know I uh I think it was probably a mistake not to move the team I, I would agree with that fact. Um, you know, the, the Arizona Coyotes fans that there are, they've done nothing but suffer for 12 years. Not so way that the Oilers fans did, but just suffer un, under the constant pressure of drama of like, you know, they can't, whether it's they can't pay their bills and they cheated at the combine and they lost their draft picks or, you know, they're going to move the arena. And it's just been... Um, even the way they kind of dismissed or discharged Shane Doan from his captaincy, they're just under this crushing weight of like hockey drama, none of it good. Um, I think if they can survive this and they can, uh, you know, they, they've cleared out so much cap that if they continue to draft to develop high draft picks when they do get that new arena, I mean, who knows? Those guys, Chicago, another team, has only three contracts on the books next year. So it's like they've got a wide open checkbook, both those teams pretty soon. And with a little bit of clever management, um, they might turn that into something. But who knows? Please. Do you think the Arizona is a good hockey market? Just bad business practice and bad circumstances has have really prevented it from kind of becoming a Nashville or even a Columbus. I know a lot of people kind of frown on Columbus, but 
a lot of players and a lot of fans actually say Columbus is a great hockey market. It doesn't get the hoopla as a Nashville or even a Vegas has early in their um, history. But, you know, and again, going back to the Austin Matthews thing, and you bring up a great point, Jeff, that, you know, they've got all of this cap space. And Austin Matthews is an unrestricted free agent in, I believe, two years here. And I would imagine they could back the Brinks up truck, the Brinks truck up to try to get him to come home. And would that potentially make a huge impact on, you know, not only the team, but that market? And, you know, he is an Arizona product, right? He grew up playing, you know, watching the Arizona Coyotes. And that's that's what almost makes me think that, like, is it is it the the business aspect of the Coyotes that's broken, not the market? Well, and I guess that goes back to an earlier statement. I think any metropolitan area is the perfect market to put a hockey team because it's the perfect product, but it's how you, you know, get that out into the community. It's how you pull people into the game. And listen, I mean, Canadians would probably be horrified if they ever saw this, but I was thinking years ago, why don't we not have a five minute video presentation right after warm up? That's like, hello, new fans. This is what hockey is. This is when they're icing the puck. If you see the goalie skate off that ice, it's a delayed path. And, and so they're not whispering in everybody's ear or just being like, I don't know what's going on. And then they start getting back onto their phone. I mean, like once you get into the game and the intrigue of the game and see the kind of, you know, suspense of it. So I think any metropolitan area is workable as a hockey market if the management understands what they're doing. And again, I think in a Southern market, you have to put an offensively minded product that's okay getting a little salty and getting in the corners and getting a little dirty and, you know, and, and having guys out there to do the dirty work that gets the people jumping up out of their seat. Like, Holy, did you see that? That was unbelievable. Like if you can put all that together, win or lose, people are going to come back. I think so. Can Houston support an NHL team? No, I mean, I think it's the fourth biggest American city. And I don't think they're as fervent about the Texans. I do, I do know they're they're behind their um, Astros for sure, but I don't think there's as fervent about the Texans as Dallas is the Cowboys. But Houston and Dallas are like like Calgary and Vancouver, like they hate each. So I feel like just by default, by living in Dallas, I like have to hate Houston and all things Houston. <laughs> It's a miserable place. It's it's the traffic of LA. It's the humidity of Miami. It's the crime of like Cleveland. I mean, it's everything I dislike crammed into one place. But the people that are from there love it. And they say it's a big art town and there's arts and culture and you know, restaurants and all that stuff. So I think they would probably do well. I mean, all you can do is do the ticket drive like Vegas did and like Seattle did and just see, you know, see how many people are invested. So. Well, Jeff, let's, uh, before we get to your story here, I want to talk a little bit about the Canucks um, uh, while we're on, on the hockey train here. Uh, training camp opens today and we saw the, the different groups roll out, which caused quite a fervor among Canucks fans looking at the different groups and the potential line matches um but just kind of first thoughts like what are you most excited or are you excited about this season what are you most excited uh, about Pedersen and the Russians that's deadly dude like I can't 
or at the very minimum, I don't know what kind of points they're going to put up, but that's going to be a really dynamic line to watch. Can't wait to see it. Um, you know, Garland is a player. Garland and Duclair feel like are the only players that I, I'm not going to say develop because they were already drafted in the AHL, but I saw both those players you know, come from junior and turn into what they turn into. And so I'm a huge Connor Garland fan. I don't, I think he would be the first to admit he didn't have a great year and he had a lot more in the tank. So I'm kind of excited to see they moved him to right wing. Correct. Uh, excited to watch what that I, I I'm excited about the whole thing. Yeah. So we have a, a pretty deep forward core this year. Uh, a lot of fans, uh, and there is some, there is justifiable concern about the blue line uh, after Quinn Hughes. What are your thoughts on the Canucks blue line? You know, if they move Hughes to the right, the OEL Hughes pair, I like as well as any defensive pair in the entire National Hockey League. But Although I'm not a big Arizona fan, there's a little bit of sentiment there. I love when Verbata went to the Canucks because I had seen him play so many times. And I was like, you guys don't even know what you're getting. Like, he, it's a very skilled player. And I believe uh, even despite the deflation of his numbers, I believe there was a little bit of Luongo thing going on where he's like, I can't believe I signed this big contract. I don't even want to be here. And I think the attitude was affecting his play. But I don't think – I think most people thought he was four steps behind the defenseman he used to be. I think he's half a step behind the defenseman he used to be, and he's excited to be in a new place. And given the right pairing and where he can you know, develop that partnership and read off each other, I think he's fine. A little bit overpriced. I think 5.8, 5.9 would have been more appropriate, but it was the deal we got, right? It was the deal we got. And, you know – defensemen of that caliber if you look around the league at your drew dowdies and your other people who little past their prime that's what they go for you know what i mean they ain't cheap so um i uh i like that pair um i really like shen uh i'm not sold on pullman i'm i feel like to me pullman and um dermot I'm not sure what they bring to the table. They feel a little bit vanilla to me, just just kind of dime a dozen, like, okay, defensemen, right? Just okay, defensemen. I have seen Rathbone skate, and I'm really excited about what he could be. Um, I think he's the real deal, or he's certainly going to be. I think he's going to pay. Uh, I think he's going to give a lot of turnovers trying to jump up into the rush and follow his instincts, but um, – you know, it's not great, but if they're as committed to the team game as they say they are, I think they'll be okay. So, yeah, I mean, going back to the OEL uh, topic and just his contract as a whole, and, you know, we could also lump Tyler Myers into this. I, I think often we hold players' contracts against them and we forget actually how impactful they actually are on the ice you know and yes every player is going to have a turnover every player is going to make a mistake but it's often you know we grade them on well their contract is this and yeah is he overpaid are they both probably overpaid by a million or a million and a half sure but they are still top four serviceable defensemen and i think you know going back to the fact and i don't know if people touch on this enough the cap has been flat for what three years now 
the cap hasn't gone up, right? And inflation is a real thing. And we see it in all sports. So a contract that was signed three years ago at the time might have seemed like an overpayment. I look at uh, Leon Dreisaitl's contract, for instance. That's a contract where at the time, a lot of fans in Edmonton and around the league were like, whoa, the Oilers have overpaid for Dreisaitl. Two years later, you're like, that's a bargain. You know, and his contract's a bargain even with the cap not going up. So I do think if the cap had gone up the last two or three years, you know, I don't know if the, those contracts would look or feel as big of anchors to this team as they do, in my opinion. You know, it won't age well. Um, I put this on Twitter. Here's the thing, like, and this is kind of, you know, I'm in like, eight, well, I'm in 12 step, but you're not really supposed to say, but we have this whole kind of like one day at a time thing, right? And you guys, I've always lived that way. And to tell you the truth, like for better or for worse, like in hockey, I have the same mindset. Like to tell you the truth, I don't give a shit what happens in 2027. If they look good now, two thumbs up, man. I'm all about it, right? We'll get there when we get there and they'll figure it out when they figure it out or they won't. Um, But for right now, I'm like, yeah, I think the composition of this can't feel the same way about JT Miller. Like right on, man. Glad he's here. So do you think uh, now you've been to quite a few buildings in the States and I've, I've been to a few in Canada and the States as well. Do you think other fan bases scrutinize the salary cap of their team the same way that Vancouver does? No. I, I, feel, I, really I feel like from my experiences um, now on the same note, Canucks fans are extremely knowledgeable about the salary cap. Uh, so it's not a knock on them, but it does seem that we spend a lot more time. And I, I know this, uh, there's, there's reasons for this in our past, uh, like just like anything else, but I feel like we really, we, we spend a lot more time worrying about the salary cap, especially in the off season than we do about the product that's going on the ice. And for myself, I, I feel like this is an improved team this year. It's got problems with the salary cap. A lot of teams do. I was looking at the numbers. I think 18 teams right now are either over the cap or within a million of the cap. So um, yeah, just curious if you could think of like, is there anyone in your journeys to 11 different cities that uh, really holds it to the, the same level that we do? North you go. I bet you in uh, in New York, um, Buffalo, Boston, those people really pay attention. Uh, even a city like Buffalo, those people are, I mean, let's face it though, Buffalo is like, what, 20 miles from Canada, right? They're, they're basically Canadians, even though they're Americans. So it seems like the farther north you go, there's more of a vestment in all aspects of the game, the business end of the game. But down here, like, you don't, see that as much as a matter of fact one time well some sometimes i'm i'm listening to what you know i'll go to like a dallas stars game all the time and stuff and jamie ben will take a a clear slashing i mean clear tripping penalty clear as clear as a day to me and everyone's on their feet no boo and it's like i get it he's your guy he's in the penalty box do you even watch hockey like I mean, that was a penalty, right? A penalty is a penalty. Like, come on, man. Like, that's you're you're being silly. And and there have been a number of times where I'm kind of looking at around people around me, like, do you understand what's going on right now? Because I'm kind of thinking you don't. You know what I mean? So anyway, uh, Jamie Ben from my hometown, Victoria, BC. He's probably the best player to ever come out of Victoria, BC. At least in terms of hockey, we're we're known for 
the city of Steve Nash uh, for the most part in, in the U.S. That's uh, where that's our other fine sports product. Um, we were talking as well before uh, we started recording. We were talking a bit about uh, Kuzmenko. And from the flashes that we've started to see, and he's starting to get a little bit of a buzz in this town. What are your guys' thoughts on Kuzmenko from what we've seen on the ice and just uh, the personality that he brings to the team as well? I mean, yeah, like we, we were talking about before we hit record, like he just, he oozes personality, you know, and as soon as the camera's in front of him, he just, he has all this personality. He, to me, seems like that guy that like, at the very, like those super tense moments where everybody's quiet or everybody's down on himself. He's the guy that kind of comes in and says something to kind of brighten the mood up and, you know, to like give everybody that bit of a positive energy that you need a lot of the time. And again, obviously we haven't seen him play a game for the Canucks yet. And these are just, you know, social media videos that have been posted from the team and from some reporters and what have you, but he just, he seems like that guy that just oozes personality and I actually think at times that's what this current incarnation of the Canucks have lacked. They've kind of lacked that kind of big personality person, you know, before the 2011 team, you had a guy like Alex Burroughs who had a big personality, even Roberto Luongo, you know, has a really big personality and it took him a while to kind of sh- to start to show that in the media and on Twitter and whatnot. And I, I think right now, like, you know, I love PD and Horvat and Miller and all those guys, but they're kind of more honed in and they're a lot more quieter. I think Kuzmenko kind of gives you that kind of, you know, makes people feel more comfortable to be themselves and not to be so buttoned up in front of a camera. I think so too. I'm sure we all saw his interview today or his, you know, little presser, his 10 minute presser. I swear to God, the first three words he learned in English were, I love Vancouver. Like he opens up <laughs> and I mean, you guys, right? How could you not? I think you guys take it for granted, but the Pacific Northwest is the most, like, it's the most beautiful place on the planet. You've got these big snow covered peaks. You've got the forest, you've got the ocean, you've got the cliffs, you've got, you've got everything going on. And it just seems like, He's just awestruck to be in North America. And the thing that I really loved that he said was he's like, I like the small ice, right? There's, you know, you don't have to run all the way out to take a stretch pass. Everything is right there. The game's contained right there. And all I need is it on my, and you know what, really uh, to the best that he could understanding the questions sounded like he was putting a lot of faith in Pete as his centerman. Like he's the guy that's going to get it done. He's the straw stirring this drink and we're going to be okay. And so, you know, we'll see if I'm a gambling man, um, 35 goals, 50 points. Why not? I had, I I had a bold prediction last episode. I, I think he gets 60 points. I said 20 goals, 40 assists, especially if he's playing with Petey. And, uh, you know, Boudreaux did say this. I actually, it was actually nice to hear him say this, where he wanted to put lines together that he was hoping will work at the start game one of the season, right? I know in previous training camps, we saw green and he would kind of mix and match lines and he'd put players that, you know, are good young players, but they clearly have no business making the team. And I think Boudreaux right from the hop is like, no, I want to put lines together that I can roll out game one. And I think having PD play, you know, theoretically with Mikheyev and Kuzmenko, we haven't actually seen PD play with the speed, like a player with the speed to burn like Mikheyev. And I actually think that will help PD. You know, having a guy that can, you know, 
burst down, you know, end to end on the ice like that. He's never had that, you know, and PD's got a shot and sure he's played with Besser and, you know, Besser's got a great shot too, but to have a guy that actually like has speed for days and Kuzmenko also, in my opinion, seems like he's a, he's a really good distributor, especially down low. I know some of the highlights that I've watched from his KHL games, he's really good behind the net. And I think, you know, that is something on the power play, especially I think he could theoretically really uh, thrive at. And so I'm really excited for that line as well, just to see PD get to play with a guy with speed like Mikheyev and a guy who can also distribute the puck like Kuzmenko. Yeah, I, I agree. It's an intriguing line. I think uh, Mikheyev also brings a little bit of size and can be the first four checker in on the boards. And then, like you said, Doug, with Kuzmenko behind the net, and then with PD's wizardry, um, I think Kuzmenko has a little bit of that magic too. And again, you're right. His stats line for the NHL is zeros across the board. So, you know, we, we got to also kind of temper these expectations once actual games start getting played however uh i like what they're doing with the lines as well doug and and, and jeff and like you guys uh, you know we talk about that line and then we also have uh the miller line now as well within and the horvat line they split up the three c's so we got miller right now playing between pearson and besser and then we've got horvat playing between garland and pod colson so it looks like a pretty balanced top nine what do you guys think of the other two lines there I've, I've kind of gone back. So when we got Pearson, I really, really hated L.A. I mean, there was a point where most Canucks fans <laughs> were. Um, it was Chicago. I did, too. I did, too, Jeff. <laughs> right. Chicago and Boston were the big two. But I I, I mean, I remember um, Dustin Brown just laying one of the Sedins and the numbers and a couple of bad spear plays and. And I just, after that, after that run in 12, I hated him like not, nothing else. And so I wasn't a big fan of Pearson. I'm not sure if that's tainted my view of him. Cause I, when you look at him on paper, like he's, he's not overpaid. I mean, he, he gets you what you're paying for and uh, he's okay. I mean, Miller and Besser to me is very intriguing and then, um, you know, the Horvat, Hod Colson, and Garland, um, I really like. Can, can we talk about Horvat for a second? Of course. You guys, I listened to your last show and you talked about him for a bit. And and listen, there, there's some probably some naivety, naivety. I'm probably being naive. Let me say it that <laughs> way. But I go back and I look at that St. Louis series of a guy who it looks like can take over the game at will and just impose his body and push through a back checker and two defensemen like butter and like I'm going top shelf because I because it's what I feel like doing to you right now. And then you wonder like, and again, I've played hockey, but certainly not at that level. You wonder like, why don't you do that all the time? You have it in you, you know? So where is that on some of the regular season games where we're we're down four to two or we're down four to three and we got 17 minutes on the clock and like hey man we need you to show up a little bit better and kind of cap anyway i'd probably get you know probably get ripped to pieces because i know there's people that love them and i'm not saying i don't but just sometimes i wonder where is the skill level is there and just sometimes it doesn't necessarily reflect on the ice and i i really heard what you guys said last week like you see is he your second line center? Is he your third line center? Like where, where does he fit? You know? So. 
I think one thing is, uh, and I think the team has started to preach a bit of this narrative, is they're not really calling them first, second, or third line centers. There are right. three lines. And I think that's kind of important. Uh, look, Bo in the St. Louis series has dominated that series like no Canuck besides Ryan Kessler in the Nashville series. There's no one else who really carried the team like that. And I think that's where some fans get a little disgruntled about Bo. It's like, like at the end of the day, though, the guy was a 30-goal scorer last year. He took more face-offs than almost anyone else in the league. Uh, he has a skill set, but I think Canucks fans are now forever comparing him to Bubble Bo. You know, we talk about Bubble Demko, but there was Bubble Bo as well. I think the real test is going to be this year, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna start trying. I'm gonna try and say it all this year. I'm gonna say when the Canucks make the playoffs. I'm gonna try and be my half glass full all season long here. So when the Canucks make the playoffs, do we see that bow again? If you do, then you now have a guy who you know elevates play in the playoffs and is a 30 goal man in the regular season. That for me is still a pretty good combo. I think as usual, fans are gonna always come back to it if he gets signed. What the dollar value is, but. For me, uh, I think I still think there is something with Bo. Uh, he just gets lost a little bit in this mix right now because he's not PD and Miller. Yeah, I think one of the biggest criticisms with Bo during his tenure with the Canucks is just being consistent game in, game out. Like he, he he's a bit too streaky, but I will say this, and you brought up a really good point, Jeff, when you brought up uh, his play against the Blues in the bubble, is he has actually shown when games matter the most, he elevates his game. And in juniors, when he played for the London Knights, you know, kind of his big claim to fame was he scored a goal to, I think it was, I don't know if it was the overtime winning goal. It was the tying goal to get the game to overtime, but he scored a goal for the London Knights with like two seconds left. Um, I'm pretty sure it was in overtime to win them the Ontario hockey league, which got them into the Memorial cup. And, his first playoff experience for the Canucks was actually that series against Calgary where we got swept for nothing, but he was arguably the best Canuck. Like he was arguably one of our best players as a rookie. He was, you know, one of our best players. And then obviously his only other playoff experience as a Canuck was the bubble. Um, Obviously there was that play in series against Minnesota, which he played well in. And then he really took over that series against the blues. And that is the one thing that always makes me, cautious about like Bo's long-term trajectory because you do have those guys in almost every sport that when the game is on the line or when you know it's the playoff time they are able to elevate their game to that next level and sure they may not be the most consistent player game in game out through the regular season but those are the type of players you need come playoff time to actually win a Stanley Cup. Well, I will say if there's one area where I have a degree of faith in the Canucks is uh, if we not it, okay when right when we make the playoffs? <laughs> I like it. The, the, the I group think, is growing. I think we have multiple players like that. Demko's one. Yes. Um, Pete is yeah. another. I used to worry about Pete so much with his. You know, he used to have a skinny little pencil neck, and you see Mike Matheson ragdolling him, and you think like, man, when it when it gets intense out there, and it's they're mucking it up. And you know what? I've seen him. I've seen him just cut through all that with speed and skill. And I really think we have the next Pavel Datsuk. I will say it. Like nobody can picture what he's going to turn into when he's 27 or 28. He's going to be phenomenal. He's going to be a generational talent, right? 
Jeff, I've been saying that for a while. I said I, I said that this guy's stealing is Pavel Datsuk. And uh, he has the two-way ability that Datsuk has, not to Datsuk's level yet, but you can see the skill is there. Now, now that's a pretty bold claim. Pavel Datsuk was an incredible hockey player, but I do believe that the closest high-end comparable for uh, Elias Pettersson, the first Elias Pettersson, is Pavel Datsuk. Do you guys think PD will be deployed in the PK at all this year? Uh, yes. Obviously, you know, they, they've, in, they've improved on paper, the PK with the additions of Mikheyev and Lazar um, and PD did play some penalty kill last year. Do you think Boudreaux will lean on him more on the penalty kill? Because I think that's kind of the aspect of PD's game that is a little bit untapped. We know what he can do on the offensive end. Um, and I, I, I also think what help, what makes a great two-way player is they actually really relish and enjoy playing that defensive game as well. I mean, you know, obviously you brought up a player like Datsuk, but you got Patrice Bergeron, Ryan Kessler, Jonathan Pays in his heyday. You know what I mean? There's all these players that can put up elite offensive numbers, but they actually, you know, even Peter Forsberg, I don't think we actually talk enough about how solid of a defensive player Peter Forsberg could be at times. And, you know, is that the next evolution of PD to become that top tier player that you guys both think? And again, I think so too, of, you know, potentially becoming a Datsuk light. Well, you know, remember PD's rookie year, uh, there were nights where he was like the best. I mean, I remember nights watching him streak back on the back check and Blake break up a play where we had no chance. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, they're putting it in. It's like, wait, here comes Pete breaking up the play. And it was like, and, and the thing is, is I don't think he learned that. I think that's in him. I just think that's the hockey player he is. And if he can be developed positionally, I mean, he's not the guy I'd pick to have blocking shots for sure. I think he's a little too nimble for that. You know what I mean? But I think he's just such a smart player in the way he sees the geography of the game and he knows where he fits in the middle of that. I think he's an awesome penalty killer. Would be, right? Yeah, and I, I think the, the goal for the team this year is to have at least six forwards on any given night who can kill penalties. Uh, I don't think it's going to be four. I think you're going to see a six-man rotation. It also keeps the lines a little more intact when you're able to do that. Uh, and it also makes sure that some guys don't get cold. Uh, look, Petey, his hockey IQ is off the charts. And I think this year coming in healthy, coming in with the full season of Bruce, he has his confidence back. You know, a lot of people are reading between the lines of some of the comments he's made about last season and, and where the problems were. And it sounds like uh, he's coming in fresh this year. Um, who are you guys most excited for this year? I mean, for me, it is Petey. Uh, that's that's kind of leading into this year because I think Petey's going to have a fantastic year this year. But who are you guys most excited for this season? I'm in a second that I'm really excited for Patterson. I think, uh, and I, you know, I put a little tweet out the other day. Like I, I can proudly say I never quit on Patterson, man. I, uh, never once bashed him on Twitter, never once, you know, and there was a lot of talk. Do you trade him? Is he a bust? Is he none of those things? He's a young guy that's struggling under the pressure of expectations of a whole province. And I think one of the things that's come out of it, and you can see his caution now when he's talking to the media, right? He's like, you know, a couple of, a couple of press conferences ago, he's like, I, I'm not going to say anything about working with a mental coach. Because I, I know what you guys are – I know what you're trying to pull out of me, and I'm not going to give you the soundbite to do it. Because the shit stresses me out, man. Stop. 
You know what I mean? Like he, he really, you can see how he's gotten really smart with the way he addresses the media. Cause I think before he probably regretted just saying what was on his mind. And then he reads the headline the next day and it's like stress level. I, I don't know if you guys read this. I, I kind of wrote a comparable it was almost like a medical journal really and it really had to do with stress cortisol levels and the impact on uh, hand-eye coordination in the sense that uh because you know i'm a i'm a clinician and i work with traumatic brain injury but you know this scene in the horror movies where the guys coming with the axe and the machete and they're fumbling with their car keys and you're like dude you're gonna die start the car whatever <laughs> well we'll come to find out that's a real condition like the the their stress hormone cortisol which is one of 50 hormone hormones you can test it in a lab it affects hand-eye coordination the more stressed out you get not all people but the more you kind of lose your hands and uh you know that my citation in that was mitch marner two playoffs ago six over the glass penalties in one game what is that about like, where are you even at, dude? And he was just, he just got in his head, right? And was jumping three feet out ahead of himself and like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And just throwing the puck over the glass. Yep, there's another penalty, you know? And the more he tried to fix it and go into concentration to fix it, the more stressed out he, it, it, it's kind of like a Chinese finger trap, right? The more you try and fix it, the, the, the deeper you get in it and you get, you get stuck. So I counsel people for a living about this stuff all the time, right? Yeah. I mean, you see players get the yips all the time. I think back to like Chuck Knobloch, you know, when he was playing second base for the New York Yankees and he was a gold glove second baseman for the majority of his career, but there was like a two, three year period, or maybe it was a two year period where any ground ball hit his way was going through his legs. Um, and I agree. Like, I do think the, the, the mental side of athletes and, you know, and that's why you saw, you know, someone like Mike Gillis, he was kind of at the forefront of in introducing sports psychology to the players and to, you know, kind of get them going through, you know, some of the ups and downs of, of the rigorous regular season. And this kind of ties into um, the player I'm most excited for this coming year. And it's actually Brock Besser, because I do think, you know, he's had a tremendous amount of stress the last couple of years in his personal life. Obviously, you know, there was the contract negotiations and heading into this year or last year, part of me, you know, was he going to be traded? Was he not going to be traded? His qualifying offer, which seemed to be, you know, too much money for the team to match. So there was all this stress, you know, in his personal life, in his professional life. And I think this year, now that his contract is settled and obviously, you know, he lost his father. We all know that, you know, the off season, but I do think, you know, and I don't mean this to sound, you know, callous because that's not my intention whatsoever. But I do think, you know, having more of a clear mind to kind of focus on hockey and to think about, you know, the goal as a team and, you know, not be having to constantly worry about, you know, your home life. And again, not saying that you shouldn't, you know, I, I actually think we could see a Brock Besser this year that could, you know, net over 30 goals. I really do. Yeah, that's a, that's a good shout there, Doug. I think, uh, I think there's a, a, a real good chance of that. And it's a great kind of uh, segue into uh, just kind of going back a, a bit with you, Jeff, uh, to talk a little bit about your story and what you're doing now um, and uh, how you work through uh, brain injuries yourself. Uh, just talk a little bit about that before, uh, before we wrap up here. Absolutely. So, 
you, you know, a lot of people, because I love hockey, they assume it was a hockey related injury. It was not, I, 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 um, when I was 11, I put a BMX bike on a picnic table. So we don't got very much runway here, guys, like eight feet, you know? And I'm like, you dare me to jump off this picnic table. And I got up there on the bike and I'm like, yeah, this looks a little high up here now that I'm sitting on the bike, you know? And I mean, just went ass over hat, hit my head on a rock, knocked myself absolutely cold. And after that, I had what we call Erlen syndrome, which is what you think of when you think of sports related concussions sensitivity to light you see the words kind of floating around on the page a little bit um little, little nauseous things like that and then two years later um i was oddly i was hit in the head by a falling door that wasn't on the hinges and it hit me so hard in the jaw it folded my mandible up against the roof of my mouth so the teeth wow. that were left were pointed west and uh, a lot of plastic surgery lot of orthodontic immediate overnight surgery head kind of wired shut and it changed my personality immediately um and i went from kind of just a 13 year old kind of happy kid to definitely a really unhappy kind of emotional kind of needy kid with a lot of problems and this is back in 1983 and to this day and this is one of the things i about if you go if you fall down a flight of stairs and got a lemon on your head and you go to an emergency room, they're going to check for two things. One is your skull fractured. And two, do you have a vascular bleed? Have you had a stroke as a result? And they'll take the most basic picture, the most basic like CT MRI scan. And short of those two things being absent, they will give you a clean bill of health and a medical summary that says you're good to go. And you can walk out of that hospital with a lifetime's worth of brain fog, memory issues, cognitive issues, emotional issues, ocular motor dysfunction, like stuff with your eyes can be really, really, really off. And they're never gonna check for any of it. And so um, I've worked in the field of addiction for 20 years, um, 20 years sober myself, and really became interested. You know, we see a lot of these types of people showing up in treatment, showing up in, and they're really undertreated, underserved and under-evaluated. And so I created an evaluation process out of Eastern medicine, Western medicine, functional medicine, and experimental medicine using microcurrent devices, using certain vitamins, um, using certain things that basically distribute laser light all the way through your skull and just begin to see some really good results from some people that were really stuck. The one, the one you, we don't have great results with is the stuff we're seeing in our hockey and football communities. So CTE is CTE isn't an injury, it's a condition. And if you look at a CTE brain and a, of a 35-year-old man and an Alzheimer's brain of an 85-year-old man, they look almost identical. It's just, it's just a decaying brain that's caving in around the edges. And the people that I know, because I work a lot in the CTE community, it's a condition I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. I mean, they they can't even make it through the grocery store without starting to cry and just being like, I got to go home. I can't do it. Too much light, too much sound, too many babies, too many cars. I can't, you know, it's just uh, life in that condition is ex it's debilitating is what it is. And so there's some symptom management that can be done. But, uh, and if you have that, and because it's a progressive condition, if you have it at 35 if you even live to see 65, there's just going to be nothing left of you. You'll probably hit Alzheimer's by the time you're 50, realistically. Like it's a, 
it's a terrible, terrible condition as a result of subconcussive blows in contact sports, right? So. What, what do you think? I mean, this is a broad question. Of course, I know it varies case to case, but what do you think would be the proper way for professional sports teams and leagues to manage head injuries? Are they doing enough right now? I know they've definitely made improvements over the years, but what are your thoughts on um, the ideal way that this should be approached moving forward? You know, kind of above my pay grade, but I, I do have a friend that says the higher of the two principles is always to be for something rather than against something else. So I'm not anti-contact sports. I'm just pro helping the people that need it. I mean, my whole life is founded on the principle of let's help, let's give the people that need the help, the best help we can give them. I mean, I do think, um, you know, I do think where we fall short, the supplemental discipline is, I mean, preaching to the choir here, everybody, everybody sees the same thing. It's uh, evidently it's not a deterrent. And I, I actually think if you wanted to create real parity in the league, people talk about parity with finances and with salary cap. No, I think the par parity starts with D DOPS. If you don't penalize things the same way, like let's face it, half the fan bases in the league are like the league's fixed. But you know what? It's the league themselves that give people the causality to say that. Like if they handled everything the same way, they would cut away all the fodder and all the ammunition to even say it. We penalize that hit in the numbers, head bounces off the glass, concussed or not. It's it's uh, and especially if there's a little bit of charging behind it, that's a 10. Right. And if that guy goes down for, you know, if he's out for half the season, then it's a 15. Every time, no, two, three, six, one, but it's the playoffs, so we only got one, but it counts for two. Like, that's where people are like, what is this, man? That was, you know, and, and especially as Canucks fans, like, our star players are out there getting their brains beat out for the last 10 years, and nobody, and it's, when it's our star players, it's crickets, right? So... Yeah, I think you bring up some really good points, Jeff. And, you know, I even look at it like, you know, you look at baseball when they had the the big steroid um, scandal in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then they came up with a set disciplinary action. If you're caught using steroids, it's 60 games. I'm not saying that, you know, a player who makes first contact and concusses another player on the ice should be getting uh, suspended 60 games. But I agree, you know, the, the Department of Player Safety needs to do a better job because, Right now, the players and the, the infrastructure that's meant to be protecting the players isn't, they're failing. They're failing the, the union. They're failing the, the Players Association. And I think this, this idea that, oh, the players police themselves and, you know, well, he slashed them earlier in the game. So that's why he, you know, he went after him and rubbed his head up against the boards. It's like that mentality has got to stop, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, fortunately, you know, I think right now they just need to take more action to, to actually try to deter players from playing like that. I mean, Tom Wilson is the perfect example. And, you know, the, the thing that's kind of sad about Tom Wilson, I actually think he's a good hockey player. I actually think, he, you know, he's a player that most teams in the league would love to have on their team, but he just plays on that edge. And, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunately, it's, you know, it's going to end someone's career. I mean, we saw other players do it, you know, Matt Cook, 
is another guy who played on that edge, former Canuck. And, you know, the players need to know that if they play like that, they're going to be out of the league sooner than later. And I, I got to tell you, I don't think much of, you know, <clears throat> the NHL today is soft. And back, I remember back in the, you know what? The truth is, is El- Elias Patterson would not, with the same skill set, with a very advanced skill set, would not have been able to play the game in the, in the 1980s or 1990s. He just would, he would have got, not in Vancouver, he wouldn't have, like he would have been, he would already be out of the game with multiple concussions. And it would be like, that was quick. You know what I mean? And so people that wish for the good old days, no, the game wasn't safe back then. Um, it was kind of a bloodbath to tell you the truth. And I think the sport is really at its pinnacle right now. It's uh it's so fast and the skill level is so incredible. I mean, just in the last decade since the Sedines, the game has changed, right? And it's gotten younger and quicker. And if you want to call that soft, go ahead and call it soft. I, I find it to be vastly more entertaining than at any point in the past, right? Yeah. And, and, and the skill has replaced the goon set. And I agree. We, we are seeing an, an incredible amount of skill and, the game has changed with that and fighting has gotten reduced. And I just hope that we continue to see the league and teams and players work on shots to the head. And like you guys have said as well, better discipline and better punishment when there is something egregious or, or charging or, or head off the glass as well. Jeff, uh, thanks a lot for joining us. We're going to have to let you go. Um, we really appreciate it. Coming on here all the way from Dallas, Texas. Our, it took us 121 episodes to get someone from Texas on. So uh, I want to thank it. you very much for joining us. Uh, Jeff, you can follow him, A Concussed, on Twitter. Uh, Jeff, any final words? Uh, really nice to be here. Really an honor, like I said. And you guys, so uh, um, I had a bucket list about 10 years ago that I was like, I wanted to free dive with sharks and go to Iceland and see Aurora Borealis. And there was a few things on there like that, but I had to come up with another one because I did all that stuff because I had lived a pretty cool life, I think. And uh, way up on the list is I got to come up and we'll do a Twitter in-person hangout at a yes. bar. You can count me in. I don't drink, but I'll buy pictures for everyone and we'll, <laughs> we'll cut up. And uh, I've kind of earmarked $10,000 worth of funds that have, if the Canucks make the Stanley Cup final, I don't care what it costs. I, I, I like almost like paying for your daughter's wedding. Like screw it, it's just money. Like count me in. I'll buy a fifteen hundred dollar, uh, you know, hockey ticket in the Upper Bowl, and I'll spend three thousand on it on a quick flight to get there. Like count me in. So, uh, oh, and the other thing. So my my older two brothers from my in laws, they do demolition derby up in. Um, montana like it's a state fair like they'll build their car put roll bars put a blower on it and i text them and i'm like dude can i come up and build and drive a car and i've already got my canucks fat head it's gonna be the canuck and just put it out there in the dirt and just you know put on the helmet and, and go for it and see what happens so anyway all my all my ambition comes up is all sort of canucks related somehow but it'll be good to meet you guys up in person there um I'll, that's perfect I'll catch you and in. i'm hoping to yeah. get back down to texas at some point as well yeah look me up if you're here if you're here and you're in town i'll take you to a 
not the NHL, maybe we could go see the ECHL up the street who has, who one of their alumni is playing in Abbey now, Vincent Arsenault. That dude is a beast, man. And I was so happy when he, when he finally got the call up to the A. I, I don't think anybody in Abbey really cares about him. Great player, like, and really earned his spot on that roster. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us, Jeff. We'll definitely have to get you on a future episode, man. And all that uh, talk about like uh, concussions and the effects of cognitive skills and all that stuff. I'd love to go even further with you when we have you on again about that topic, because I think it is very important. You bet. You guys are the best. Thanks for doing what you do. All right, it's that time of the show for the free pour open floor segment. And I just wanted to talk about this time of year. And I feel like every time it's October, September, Pete, you and I, we're always, we kind of always say the same thing. But like, I just love this time of year. I mean, in Vancouver, and again, you know, not to talk about the weather, but the weather's been marvelous. It's been beautiful and sunny, but yet still nice and cool. You get that like crisp air, that crisp fall air. You've got football back. Training camp started today. It's just that perfect time of year for me. You know, I know the pumpkin spice beers are a little overplayed, but I I do, and I don't mind, you know, a pumpkin spiced beer or two. Um, But yeah, just it being September, October, fall season here, probably my favorite season. Uh, I love it. It is a great time of year, and there's a nice golden light. Um, You kind of uh, led into what my free pour is about uh, very nicely. I want to talk about pumpkin beer. Um, I (laughs) am a brewer, and I've gotten a few emails from people like, hey, we're doing... uh, blog this or whatever about you know fall beers and whether it's you know german beers or whatever or pumpkin beers i'm like there's no freaking way i'm making a, a pumpkin beer it's it's kind of a running joke with me now so it goes back to you know years of just going into the liquor store before we've had this real craft beer explosion uh, to the next level and you just go in and all the bombers that was when i was drinking more bombers where they were all like pumpkin beers it's just like oh you have a choice of this pumpkin beer or that pumpkin beer or that one and you know, I'm, I'm more, I, even though I make some funky beers, I like to, I'm really a, a simple beer at heart. I like a good pale. I like a good IPA. I like a good lager. Um, I don't need to put pumpkins in my beer. Uh, so you won't be seeing a pumpkin beer for me this week, this year, but for yourselves, by all means, go nuts if you like that stuff. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Season 4, Episode 2, Episode 121 is just about in the books. Uh, Just before we go, Doug, I just wanted to quickly bring up what's going on in the American League right now. Of course, the Jays are right in the wild card uh, mix, but what Aaron Judge is doing right now is pretty cool. 60 homers, man. Uh, That's only being done by Babe Ruth and Roger Maris. Yeah, only in the American League. Uh, obviously, the Sammy American Sosa, League, yes. yeah, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, and Mark McGuire. Obviously, despite the steroid scandal, they all did it in the National League. But no, it's it, it, it's an extremely impressive, record-setting year for Aaron Judge. Uh, he's got a chance to win the Triple Crown, which again is a very hard feat. 
to achieve in baseball and the fact that you know he's one home run away from tying Roger Maris's American League record for most home runs in a season and he's already tied the great Babe Ruth 60 home runs in a season for the American League it's 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 a season for the ages and I think watching it unfold in real time I don't know if we really appreciate how special it is until maybe three four five years from now and again this time of year man like uh, I love postseason baseball I love it like I, I follow the Jays pretty closely but postseason ball in general is just it's a different atmosphere and it, it adds to the whole just excellence of this time of year October as we all know best sports month on the calendar yeah, absolutely, man. It just, October, it hits it on all levels. Love it. You can follow myself. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. Do check out our playlist on Spotify, the Connect Speakeasy outro playlist, all the jams on there. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have Dan's sweet intro on there, but everything else is on there. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.